All right, welcome back to Untranslated Islam. This is your brother Ben Yusuf, and as we do here, we're digging into another text from the Arabic language that has never been translated, translated into English so we can get benefit. This hadith is actually connected from in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, and I've never seen it translated or dealt with before, but it's such a beautiful hadith. The first time I heard this hadith being translated, I'm being explained, I thought, subhanAllah, this is how you paint a picture with words. Because before internet, before phones, before iPhones and television, even, even radio, you know how people used to sit around radios? Before that, they had words that spoke, that spoke or that play, uh, painted pictures in your brain and in your heart. And I, that's what I felt when I read this idea. So I'm going to read it to you. And as I'm going through it, I'm going to point out some points of benefit. And then at the end, inshallah, we'll talk about some things also. All right. So the hadith, uh, and the point of me bringing this hadith is that I wanted to talk about or show the way that the Prophet Sallallahu was at home. Okay. Because, uh, one of the reasons why I started studying Arabic is because I felt that I needed to learn more about the Prophet's home life and also the Sahabas and how they were in life. Uh, the things that happened around the Prophet that he ratified or that he you know, okayed and like this, just to give me better reference points in my own life. So let's get straight into it. All right. Now I have to give you this name. Usually I don't give names in the beginning, but I have to give you this name for a reason, as you'll see. And the name is, uh, Muhammad ibn Qais ibn Makhrama ibn al-Muttalib. Uh, Ibn al-Muttalib, he's the narrator of his hadith, okay? So the name is not so much important, but look at what he does. This is what's important, because he's a tabia, he's second generation Muslim. He said, I said one day, Should I not tell you or talk to you about something that happened between me and my mother, okay? Call. So the people that was around me, they said, They said, we thought that he was talking about his mother that was, that gave birth to him, right? his, uh, biological mother. Call, call it Aisha. And then he started in saying, Aisha said. Now we know that Aisha has no biological children. Huh? So the first point of this is that the people of the past, they refer to the wife or wives of the prophet as their mothers, for real, to that extent, all right? Because they looked at them and with that reverence like that, all right? Um, so he said, call it Aisha, and then look at this next point. He said, Aisha said, Aisha said, should I not inform you about something that happened between me and the messenger of Allah? Second point is, is that they would use the word patterns, even the choice of words and word patterns, even of those people who are righteous before them, um, just to this out of reverence to them. Number one. And number two, the situation of him talking, uh, 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 referring using the same word patterns showed how serious they were with keeping the feeling that was connected to the hadith. So he used that same word pattern to his friends and then said, I said it like that because Aisha said it like this. Okay. So now let's get into it. Aisha said, should I not inform you about something that happened between me and the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? The people around her said, Bella, of course. Call, call it. So she said, He said, she said, on the night, a night where the Prophet was supposed to spend the night with me. And he went to go to sleep and he took off his ridat, okay, which was overgarment, okay, the garment that he put, or overcloak, we should say. Huh? 
So he took off his overcloak and put it close by. And then he took off his sandals and he put them uh, uh, He took off his sandals and he put them very close to his feet where he was going to go to sleep. Huh? And he took off his waist garment and he laid it on the bed. Okay. Uh, and then he laid to go to sleep. Now, from this, we see something about the point, 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 the secu a security point of the Prophet. You have to remember, there were no clap on, clap ons, or even turn on light switches with electric in those days. Okay. All there were were lamps and candles. So the Prophet told us before in another hadith that when you go to go to sleep, blow out all fires because verily shaitan comes and inspires the rats or the mice to come and to knock over the candle or the lamp and can set your house on fire. This is a hadith sahih. So the Prophet before going to sleep, will make sure all of the fires are out. So you're in the midst of the dark. You have to have everything in close proximity. So if there's any emergency, you don't have to go rush. Oh, where's my shoe? Where's my... You immediately know where everything is at. You wake up, put everything on, and you handle whatever that emergency is. Okay? So, this was a security point. She said, she continued, فَلَمْ يَلْبِثْ إِلَّا She said, so he laid there for a period of time with her. And he laid, and then she said, he thought, he didn't lay long, he laid until he thought, I was asleep. And once he thought I was asleep, he got his overcloak really quietly. Okay. And he put on his sandals very quietly. And he went out of the door quietly and then closed it very, very quietly. Okay. She said, so as soon as he left out, I was awake. I'm like, what's going on? So she said, I got up immediately once he left and I put on my headgear, put on my khimar, put on my izar, put on everything so I'm covered properly. And I left out to go behind him without him knowing quietly to see where he was going in the middle of the night. This is the middle of the night. See where he's going in the middle of the night. And so I followed him quietly until he reached the graveyard of Baqiyah in Medina. And it's a very special graveyard to this day. Baqiyah al is the graveyard that all of the Sahabas, the companions are buried in. And the righteous people are buried in there. And when someone dies who was righteous and has status, they get that bad, they get that, that privilege if they're in Medina to get buried in that grave. Okay. So very important grave. So the Prophet ﷺ arrived there. And at the time, of course, all is in there is Sahabas. Okay. Uh, so he stayed, stood there, not knowing I was behind him. She's still quiet, just watching. So he stood and he stood for a long time, like he's doing something. He stood for a long time. He starts to raise his hands. Raise his hands. He puts his hands back down. Raise his hands. Raise his hands. Put his hands back down. He did this three times, okay? So he did that. Then after that, he turned to come back home. So I realized oh, he's coming. She, she said, I turned around and I started going back first. She said, then I could hear him behind me walking faster. Huh? So I started walking faster. 
okay? In front of him, he still does, he still doesn't know who this is in front of him, okay? Then he started walking even faster, like a, 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 a like a it's like a a jog almost. So I started going even faster. Then he started speeding. Then I sped. I got in around the corner into the house. Huh? into the house. Soon as I got in, jumped in the bed. <laughs> She said, as soon as I got in, jumped into the bed. Then he opened the door and he came in. The call. So he said to me immediately, Maliki, Maliki, ya Aish. And Aish was like an endearing term that he would call her, okay? Maliki, ya Aish. What's, what's going on? What's up with you, Aish? What's going on? Huh? Hashia, Rabia. Hashia, Rabia. You panting like that? Your stomach is moving all in and out like you are all worked up. What's, what's going on? <laughs> Carlette's cool too. She said, I said, last shade. No, nothing. What? You know how they do. What? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> like this, huh? Carlette. <laughs> she said, he said, either you going to tell me or Al-Latif Al-Khabir is going to tell me. So that shook her. And that's why I got this most half open because this ayat I haven't memorized, but the ayat is a tongue twister. I dared not try to just say this ayat off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, my point is, is that when he said this, it shook her. And I believe it shook her because it reminded her of ayats that was already sent down with regards to her. Okay. She was a young lady. And so she was, she was, uh, honored in the Quran. In Surah Nur, okay? But then in Surah Tahrim, it was a situation that was different than that. And Allah didn't mention by name or anything, but he just mentioned the situation of the Prophet and what happened, okay? And so in that situation, he used the term, he used the I mean, the, the name Al Khabir also, all right? So let me read, and I think you guys know the ayah is in Surah Tahrim, okay? So in Surah, in Surah Tahrim, Allah says, وَإِذْ أَسَرَّ إِلَى بَعْضِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا And remember when the Prophet told one of his wives some, uh, some information in secret, all right? And so she wasn't supposed to say anything to anybody. But then she said, the nature of women, they can't quite keep a secret. They got to tell at least one person. So they always tell their best friend. That's just how women are. You got to know this about women so you don't hold them against, hold it against them. And that's the reason why you have to be very careful what you tell them. If it's something that you don't want anybody to know, you got to keep it close to the chest. Okay. So the whole point is, is that keep this is in this ayah, Allah Jalla said that he, the Prophet Sallallahu told his wife, and this is a whole different situation, told his wife a secret that she's not supposed to tell anybody. But then she told her best friend, and her best friend is Hafsa, radiallahu anhu ma'ajma'in. And so when that happened, then Allah informed the Prophet Sallallahu that he, she had talked to, to Hafsa about it. And so when the Prophet went to Aisha about it, he informed her of some of what Allah told him, and he held back on some. The ulama say about this part of the ayah, this is the proof that when you're dealing with your wife, or even when you're dealing with your children, 
You don't call them on everything that you knew they did They did was wrong. You go to a child's school and they say, yeah, he did this and this and this and this and this. Or the situation with, with, with your wife, you find out they did this. And you don't call them on all of it. You look at it and you see the things that are most pertinent in order to make sure that you correct the situation and they understand why it was wrong. And you talk to them about that. If it was six points, talk to them about the two most important points. And you leave the rest and you don't call them on everything just like Yomo Kiyama we ain't going to want to be called on everything from Allah. Okay, so you be have some rift with you, have some ease with you. Okay, so Allah Jalla said, So when he informed her about what he knew, call it men Who told you that? Because she thought, <laughs> you know how friends do, she thought that Hafsa might have said something. I'm like, I'm get Hafsa, she wasn't supposed to say nothing. She thought that Hafsa said something. Call it. Khabir, same same name, said no. Al Alim Al Khabir informed me, the one who is full of full full of uh, uh full uh the one who has full knowledge of everything and the one who is most informed about everything. All right, so he used this same uh name in this situation, and he said either you gonna tell me or Al Latif Al Khabir is going to tell me. Instead of using Alim, he uses Latif here. And look at the the, 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 the precision of that word because we already talked about Latif many times. That's the knower of all subtleties, okay? So he said, either you want to tell me or the knower of all subtleties, the one that's most informed is going to tell me. So she, that shook her. She said, Kutu, Ya Rasulullah, Bi Abi Anta wa Ummi. I said, Oh Rasulullah, May my mother and father be ransomed for you. She said, and I told him what happened. Call. So he said, So you were that figure, the dark figure that I saw in front of me, huh? Kultu. Naam. She said, yes, that was me. She said, so... Then he gave me a nudge in my chest, you know, in this area. He gave me a nudge. And she said, I could feel by the nudge that he was displeased with me. Okay. Then he said, Then he said why he had to give her that nudge. Because the implication of what she did was, was very serious. He said, Did you really think that Allah and his messenger will be unfair or unjust to you? Do you really believe that? I'm connected to Allah. What I, I have to do what Allah says. He's watching me. You think that Allah and his messenger will be unfair to you? She said, call it. <laughs> she said, no matter what I hide or what anybody hides, Allah knows. So I have to speak the truth. Yes, I thought you was doing me. I thought you was doing me dirty. Like I thought you was going to doing something with my time at night that when you were supposed to be spending time with me. Okay, so he said, let me tell you what happened then. Call for in the Jibril, in the Jibril Atani, he said, Jibril came to me at the time when you was, you know, what the situation happened for Nadani, and he called to me from outside of the house. Huh? So I didn't want to distract you with that. So I was going to go to answer him. And I didn't want you to be worried about that. And 
and he couldn't come in because you had already taken off your clothes and wore what you're going to wear, taken off your overclothes and what were you going to wear in order to sleep? So the angels, they don't come into a house in a situation like that. Okay. When a woman is uncovered, we know that from the situation of the first time the prophesied Salem got the revelation when it's the Ikra, when he came down and he was all trembling with fear. And he said to Aisha, Dethiruni, Zemiluni, Dethiruni, wrap me up in garments. He's fair. And he said, and she's wrapping him up. Are you okay? And she said, he said, I saw something. I saw, he said, well, do you see it? And then he looked and he said, she said, you still see him? He said, yes, I still see him. And then she, uh, may Allah have mercy on her with her wisdom because she was very well studied in the scriptures. Okay. She has studied very well. Um, uh, we'll talk about her story another day, but she studied very well with Waraka bin Nofid. Waraka bin Nofid was one of the people who wrote, wrote the scriptures from back in the past. One of the only people that still remained on the fact that they knew Jesus was only a prophet and was on the original minhaj of Jesus. Okay. So, she had studied the scriptures well under him. So she uh, uncovered her leg some and then said, do you still see him? And he said, no, he's gone now. She said, then that was an angel because if it was a demon. He would, the demon stays and is even more excited when you start to reveal yourself. But there was an angel, the angel can't stay. So the whole point is, is that angels can't stay around when a woman is uncovered properly. All right. For call. So, um, uh, uh, he said, so Jabril, he couldn't come in because you had already took off your clothes and put on your clothes for night to go to sleep. So you didn't have on your full garment. So he couldn't come in. Well, then to end Kadrakati. And I thought that you had fell asleep, asleep for Kadrakati to end, and Ukivaki. And so I was shy or I didn't want to have to wake you up. And I didn't want you to feel lonely because I had to leave out to answer Jabril's call. For call, so he said, Jabril, He said, he went out to outside quietly, and that's when Jabril told him, Allah has told, sent me to you and told you to go right now over to the grave of Al-Baqiyah and make, seek forgiveness for them. Okay? And that's a major thing. That's a major thing. Just think about that. The fact that they had those people that's in the grave of Al-Baqiyah had working for them that Allah sent Jabril in the middle of the night to go to the Prophet Sallallahu in the middle of the night and tell the Prophet to come and make far for them and as a procedure for them to be forgiven. All right. Call it. She said, Kultu. I said, Kaifa akul lahum ya Rasulullah. Well, I want to do that. So if I go there, then what do I what do I say to them? Ya Rasulullah. Call she he said, Kuli say Assalamu ala ahdin ahlid diyar min al mu'minina wal muslimin. I'm going to say this slow because you can memorize it in Arabic or memorize it in English, but this is important because anytime you go to visit the grave of the Muslims, you should say this. Salam, as-salam, give peace, uh, give greetings to them. Ala ahlid diyar, from the people who are in this area, buried in this area, min al-mu'minin wal-muslimin. The mu'mins are the believers of them and the Muslims and the Muslims of them. So we know it's different levels. You have Islam, Iman, Ihsan, just different levels, okay, of the believers, of those people who are Muslims. Wa and may Allah have mercy on all of those who preceded us to the grave. Talking about the people that are in there. And have mercy on to those people 
who remain behind. And know that we are, insha'Allah, going to meet up with you soon. Okay? We're going to meet up with you soon. So this dua is a dua that you say when you go to the grave. As-salam. You give salams ala ahlid diyar to all those that are in this grave. Min al-mu'mineen wal-muslimin. The mu'mins of them and the muslims of them. Are the Muslims of you and the Mus and the Mu'mins of you. minna. And may Allah have mercy on those who who proceeded us there to, to, to the grave. And those who are coming later. And insha'Allah, we're gonna meet you soon. Alright? So that was the end of the hadith. And like I said, the hadith is can be found actually as a, a version of it that can be found in Sahih Muslim. And a ver but this version is the version that is from uh, the Muslim of Imam Ahmed. There's, as you can imagine, I just mentioned just a few of the different points of benefit while we were going through the hadith. But I have like the way that we study. This is the thing. When you listen to Quran or you listen to the Sunnah, uh, the way that scholars study is they they do istighraj al-fawaid wa istimbalt al-ibr. Okay, the reason why we get all this information is so we can extract benefits and we can do come to deductions, uh, deduct lessons or deduce lessons from it that can benefit us in our lives. Okay, so when you hear these things, it should be all kinds of flags going off of benefits, benefits. So I just have a few of them that I want to mention, inshallah, in the next few minutes. Um, uh, but there are so many that I probably won't mention. Okay, so I already started. Oh, I didn't start with the first thing is that when you start to talk to somebody, you can start with a question to arouse the listener's full attention, to awake, awake them up, okay, to get their attention. <clears throat> There's different ways to get people's attention. In a time of pain gets people's attention, the situation with the Prophet when he first got the message, Jibril what? Squeezed him three times. And then he started talking. Third, I say the reason why is was to wake him up to what he was about to give him because he was about to give him something heavy. So it wasn't as a punishment or nothing. It was just to wake him up fully, his attention fully, okay, to what's about to happen. When people go into the grave, they say even the most righteous person, they're going to get squeezed. Okay, squeezed, okay? And some of the ulama say for the righteous person still is to wake them up to what's about to happen, okay? To get them ready for what's about to happen. So you start with something to get the person's attention and one of the ways and they teach you that we teach this also when we teach in english is start with some questions start with a question all right to arouse the person's attention all right um we already talked about how they followed each other's speech patterns okay so the tabi'i took the speech pattern of aisha because aisha said the same thing in order to get people's attention when she wanted to tell them about what happened between her and the Rasulullah sallallahu referring to the prophet sallallahu wives as mothers okay he said allah says in the quran wa azwajuhu ummahatukum he said and his wives are your mothers all right so you can refer to them as that and say our mother such and so and so our mother this our mother that when you refer to the wives of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam all right um the next point is going home right after Isha, all right? It was the way of the Sahabas and those who came after, as the Prophet Sallallahu said in the Hadith that's collected by Tirmidhi, but it's also collected in Bukhari, where the Prophet Sallallahu they said about him, يَكْرَهُ النَّوْمْ قَبْلَ الْإِشَاء وَالْحَدِيثَ بَعْدَهَا Okay, the Prophet Sallallahu used to hate or used to uh, dislike falling asleep before Isha, 
and he used to dislike talking about nothing after Isha. Okay, so the point was is, is that before Isha, they started the message because of the fact that he didn't want to go to sleep or fall asleep and then not catch the Isha because it's nighttime. Once you go to once nighttime falls, your body will go into a deeper sleep. So it's harder to get up for Isha if you fall out. All right. And then after Isha was because of the fact that the people of the past, they were focused on starting with the prophet. So I tell them they were focused on getting home after Isha, spending some time with their family, with their, with their making sure everything is OK with the children, uh, retiring with their wife to spend some time with their wife and getting to sleep early because they wanted to spend time with Allah in the last third of the night. All right. So that's what they did. And like I said, when I was in, this, in the uh, village, I watched people do that because there was no electricity at night. The electricity was going off every night, every night. It was like there's lights out, lights, electricity went off every night. So we had everything in place before electricity went, went off. So that when electricity went off, all we had was our little night lamp to go over whatever last things we was doing. And then we're going to turn that out. The, 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 it was a, a fire lamp. We turn the fire lamp out and then go ahead to sleep. And so it's easy to get up in that last third because you're sleeping early. All right. Uh, next benefit. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Uh, the security point, we said, making sure that when you go to sleep, you know exactly where your clothes are and it's best to keep them in close proximity because if something happens and that's something that happened also, wow, we was in the ville, but it was in the middle of the day. I fell asleep and I woke up to people banging on the door saying, Shay, get out, get out the house, get out the house, the fire. And so I throw my stuff on. And I go running out the house and there's a big fire on top of the on top of the house because the houses they made, it was like mixed with, with brick and mud. But they would have hay on the top of the house and then they would have the animals up there also. And so all that hay had caught on fire and they would be up there making cheese and the animals would be up there. It caught on fire and it was coming straight down. But Hamdila, they put it out before it destroyed the, the, the apartment building. But it, it was not an apartment building. It was like two, three story thing that was made out of mud, mud and brick. But the whole point is, is that... Um, uh, having to jump up and run straight out. And I, I imagine as I listen to or read this, imagine that in the middle of the night with no electric light and you're trying to stumble around. So he put his shoes right where he was laying at the bottom of his feet. He put his, uh, his, his redat or his cloak right next to him, put his izar under him. And so if anything happened, he's able to jump up. And as you saw, situation happened. Jabril called him. He had to get out of there quietly. Everything was right there. He ain't had to go stumping around and stumbling around and turning the lamps back on and waking Aisha up. He just quietly got the stuff on and he left out. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Respect and consideration for those who are sleeping. All right. Especially in the middle of the night. Like he said, he said, I did. I didn't want or I, it, would, it would have displeased me to wake you up because you were asleep in the middle of the night. You respect the fact that people have to get their rest. The law made the night for rest, especially the first third of the night, because of two things. They might be tired from all day and because they have to get their rest so they can get up in the last third of the night. And you don't want to be the one that's getting away with getting in the way of that process. So unless it's something emergency or something dire, then you should be very careful and respectful of those people who are sleeping around you. You know, I have to say my, my family is a family of big mouths. So I have to tell my my children on a regular basis, like when it's time to go to bed, it's time to go to bed. And like when they make that noise, listen, I tell them, stop, listen, there's nobody awake making noise except you. Shh. Because you have to respect people when they sleep. All right. Um, uh, also, another point that the early man bring from this hadith is the importance of not leaving your wife scared at home. Okay. Uh, they said, so the best thing is to be at home at night if you can. But if 
you're a person where the only your only means of income or the only way for you to make a living or do what you have to do is that you have to leave out at night, then you want to train her before you do that so that she won't be scared. And she should be someone or you, you should train your wife no matter what. This ain't any person's wife. You should train them no matter what to have some courage about them because at any time you might have to leave out and deal with a situation. You know, so um, when the revolution went, went went down, all that spring, Arab spring stuff, I was in the Arab world and it was crazy stuff. People were breaking out of prisons and all of this stuff. And so they made all of the men come down and we had to camp out all night downstairs because it was supposed to have been criminals running all around and broke out of prison or whatever. We don't know if it was true. It came out that, you know, all of that might not have been true. Uh, but they're saying it's criminals running around and they might kind of try to run your house. So we had to stay downstairs. So he tell her, had to tell the family and family's upstairs. She got a little something under her pillow and she's just sitting there all night just because there's children in the house. So the whole point is, is like you got to raise your, 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 your family to be strong. My mother grew up with, with a, with a husband that was from military, uh, Vietnam. So she grew up knowing how to shoot guns. We all grew up knowing how to do all of this stuff. And it's important to train so that people are not at the, at the, at the mercy of, some criminal, if a criminal comes or if something happens, they're not just not knowing which way to turn. Okay. All right. Uh, care for the righteous woman in every situation to complete their modesty. She didn't just go running out like we see sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes in the, in the Arab world where they'll just come outside. They're a woman that always dress properly. But then when they come out to the balcony or they just come to run out to get something as far as uh, to get a, a delivery or something, they don't put on their hijab and stuff. And it's like, You've done all that to protect your modesty all day, every day. Nobody knows how you look. And now you run out onto the balcony or you doing stuff on the balcony and you're not dressed properly or you come out to the, to the front door and we got to turn our heads because we don't even want to see you undressed from dressing properly because we have so much respect for you. But you, but the nature of the woman like Aisha did in the middle of the night in the dark, she still made sure she put on all her garments properly and dressed modestly before she left out of the house. All right. Uh, the the key thing here, though, I say is the nature or inclination that females have that sometimes they might make an emotion based decision. And if you know that this is their nature, then you have to be patient with it. Number one. Number two, because of her age, because Aisha was like a teenager at the time. So younger people, you have to also be patient with the stage that they're at and the age that they're at. And you can't just come down on people. It was a brother who used to live over here and uh, he used to be, you know, he was, he was a young guy. So what his wife used to be like a little, you know, okay. So his father came to visit. And I remember he came back to me after his father came to visit. And his father wasn't even Muslim. And his father said to him, he, well, he came to me and he said, because I realized that he was different after his father came. And he was like, you know, my father gave me some good sound advice. He said, you know, you're young and your wife is young. He said, so you're going to be touched with her because you expect her to be on your level. But he said, but I'm older. He said, I can see through both of y'all and see y'all young. Y'all have a lot of learning to do. So just like you might want people to be patient with your development, you got to be patient with her development. And he, it changed him. It changed him when his father came to visit, man. His stepfather, Bertical Lofi, it changed him, yo. Uh, 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 so the whole point is, is that his father had a chance to get a nice dose of Islam and he got a nice dose of wisdom from his father. And it was something that was very beneficial. So the point is, is, is that as Allah says in Surah Tanur, I like the, the, the Surah where he, where he honored Aisha. What he said in that Surah was what? Allah, 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 Allah,
Wallahu Ghafur Rahim. He said that to Abu Bakr because Abu Bakr said he wasn't going to give any more money to Mistah because he found out that Mistah was mixed into whatever uh, 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 he just spread the word. Like he didn't start the word, the Munafiqeen started, but he had spread some of the information or believed some of the information that was being spread and it wasn't true. And when he found that out, he said, I'm not going to give to Mistah anymore. And Mistah was his cousin or something like that, it was a relative of his. And so the ayats came down where Allah Jalla said, Filiafu wasfahu, just be overlooking and um, uh, pardoning. Wouldn't you like for Allah to forgive you? And Allah is Ghafur Rahim, the forgiving, the merciful. Okay. Um, importance of visiting the Muslim graves is what we're going to end on. And I had a whole lot more, but I want to keep it in a way where we get some benefit that we can move with. And so the last thing is the importance of visiting the Muslim graves. And you don't sit, or it's more preferred to stand, as Imam Nawawi said when he was given the explanation of this hadith. He said, from the hadith, it shows that it's more preferred to stand when you're making dua than to sit. And you don't go there, you don't make prayer there. You don't go there and call on to the people, like people go and they call and they be leaving, the, for some reason, they, 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 they leave flowers. But in the Muslim world, sometimes they'll go and they'll leave money. And I, I don't even understand that one. But they'll leave money, they leave flowers, stuff like that. You go there to make dua. And you don't go there to pray. You don't pray, excuse me, you don't pray in the graves. You go there to pray. You don't pray in the graves, uh, at the grave, at the graves, but you go there to make supplications. And so he was standing there making supplications for them, making supplication. And then when it got intense, he raised his hands and made dua, raising his hands because you raise your hands is make you closer to Allah. And then he put him down. And then he did it a second time, raised his hands. And then he did it a third time, raised his hands, making dua. So it showed he was making intense dua for them. A blessing of being in that grave at that time. Okay. So raise your hands, make dua for them. Okay. And don't forget them just like you don't want to be forgotten or we don't want to be forgotten when we leave here. So these are the points that I wanted to bring from this hadith. And like I said, there's so many, so many other different points, but we just want to, I, the key thing, last thing is the kindness, love and care that the Prophet Sallallahu did when he was reprimanding or you we call it tetdeeb in arabic like giving us some edip or etiquette about how she should deal with things okay so yeah he he was the, and this is the point i remember someone saying before that what is what surrounds a situation is more intense than the situation itself than any other anything physical that you can do when it comes to a wife or a child or even if you're a boss and you're reprimanding a, a employee somebody that's under you somebody that's under your responsibility or under your care just the fact that they did something that may have caused some displeasure to you that's enough usually for them that they already feel bad i remember someone saying they said if you came with a miswack and just nudged them it will make them cry more inside than if you beat them. Because if you beat them, their adrenaline is flowing already. They're going to barely feel that. So you have to go to something that's borderline abuse for them to feel it. And uh, I know this from, from, from trial and error. Uh, the best thing is to talk to their heart. And you might do a little nudge. Or you might. I remember uh, our teacher, Brother Mujahid, when he was in KG. And he would say to us a statement. And he had to beat me but once or twice. Because he would say this statement that made me feel worse than any hit that he would hit me. He would say, you know. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And you will, we will already be crying because we feel bad that we did something to feel, to, to, you know, to cross, to cross that line and make it be in this displeasure. But 
And he might give us a few taps because we ain't crying because the hits, because the hits didn't hurt. We're crying because how bad we feel that we did something and the displeasure of this person that we love and look up to. So you don't have to get into all that stuff that we got from those slave days that, that, that stuck with us and thinking that you're supposed to be lashing somebody with, with whips and belts and sticks and all this stuff and get me to switch and switch. You don't have to go through all that. If you keep a good environment, when they cross that line, they'll feel it. They'll feel it even if you just do like this, which is what the Prophet Sallallahu did. And one narration said that his fist was balled up, but he just he nudged her. He just nudged her like that. Said, do you really think that Allah, he gave him one, gave her one nudge right up here. I said, do you really think that Allah and his messenger would be, would, would, would be unfair to you? And that was enough. That was enough that she learned her lesson from that. All right, so we're going to close here. And like I said, these things are to apply to our lives. So I hope that we apply it to our lives as far as those bosses to the people under them, as far as the husbands to the wives, the wives and husbands to the children, mothers and fathers, excuse me. And uh, let's apply these things to make us better people. Until next time, this is your brother, Ben Yusuf. Uh, you keep coming, we'll keep digging, and we all keep benefiting by Allah's permission. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. فمن الذي يدعو ويرد